Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will be for section 87. I'm going to read the heading, Revelation and Prophecy on War, given through Joseph Smith the Prophet at or near Kirtland, Ohio, December 25, 1832. At this time, uh, disputes in the United States over slavery and South Carolina's nullification of federal tariffs were prevalent. Joseph Smith's history states that appearances of troubles among the nations were becoming more visible to the prophet than they had previously been since the church began her journey out of the wilderness. Uh, A little more background about this section. Uh, This revelation given through the prophet on Christmas Day is generally remembered as the prophecy that foretold the Civil War. In fact, this revelation reaches far beyond that sorrowful conflict that pitted brother against brother and father against son to be as prophetic for those of our day as it was when first recorded. It identifies the beginning of the Civil War as the time when peace would be taken from the earth. From that time forth, we are told, war will be poured out upon all nations. To that bloodshed, the heavens will add the testimony of famine, plague, earthquake, thunder, and vivid lightning, all of which will testify against her wickedness. Also foreshadowed in this revelation is the evil and bitterness that will greet the gospel as it goes forth to the nations of the earth, as the blood of the saints will have cause to cry forth to the Lord of Sabaoth for vengeance. Only then will the consumption decreed make a full end of all nations and the millennial reign of Christ be ushered in. Until that day, the saints are warned to stand in holy places. That was by Joseph Fielder McConkie. The prophet Joseph Smith wrote, Appearances of troubles among the nations became more visible. Uh, The ravages of of the cholera were frightful in almost all the large cities of the globe. The plague broke out in India, while the United States, amid all her pomp and greatness, was threatened with immediate disillusion. The people of South Carolina, in convention assembled in November, passed ordinances declaring their state a free and independent nation, and appointed Thursday, the 31st day of January, 1833, as a day of humiliation and prayer to implore Almighty God to vouchsafe His blessings and restore liberty and happiness within their borders. It was the intent of South Carolina, following the day of prayer and humiliation, to sever ties with the United States on the first day of February. However, President Jackson issued his proclamation against this rebellion, called out a force sufficient to quell it, and implored the blessings of God to assist the nation to extricate itself from the horrors of the approaching and solemn crisis. Conflict did seem, uh, let's see, where am I? I lost my place here. Conflict did seem possible in the political turbulence of the early 1830s, as President Joseph Fielding Smith noted. Scoffers have said it was nothing remarkable for Joseph in 1832 to predict the outbreak of the Civil War, and that others who did not claim to be inspired with prophetic vision had done the same. It has been said that Daniel Webster and William Lloyd Garrison in 1831 had predicted the dissolution of the Union. It is well known that senators and congressmen from the South had maintained that their section of the country had a right to withdraw from the Union, for it was a a confederacy, and in 1832, war clouds were to be seen on the horizon. It was because of this fact that the Lord made known to Joseph Smith this revelation, stating that wars would shortly come to pass, beginning with the rebellion of South Carolina. 
which would eventually terminate in war being poured out upon all nations and in the death of, and misery of many souls. It may have been as, an easy thing in 1832 or even 1831 for someone to predict that there would come a division of the northern states and the southern states, for even then there were rumblings and South Carolina had shown the spirit of rebellion. It was not, however, within the power of man to predict in the detail which the Lord revealed to Joseph Smith what was shortly to come to pass as an outgrowth of the Civil War and the pouring out of war upon all nations. In April 1843, when the threat of secession was not so immediate, the prophet again stated, I prophesy in the name of the Lord God that the commencement of the difficulties which will cause much bloodshed previous to the coming of the Son of Man will be in South Carolina. It may probably arise through the slavery, slavery question. This is a voice, de this a voice declared to me while I was praying earnestly on the subject. All right, and that was on December 25th of 1832. So let's go ahead and read this, uh, verse 1. Verily thus saith the Lord concerning the wars that will shortly come to pass, beginning at the rebellion of South Carolina, which will eventually terminate in the death and misery of many souls. This is not a prophecy of the Civil War alone, but rather a warning that there will be wars and undoubtedly rumors of war in greater confusion than has ever been known in earth's history. Nothing in the history of our nation has matched the civil war for death and misery. The aggregate of those killed in this war was 618,000, 360,000 from the north and 258,000 from the south. The next highest U.S. casualty figure is for World War II, when 318,000 were killed. The third highest figure is for World War I at 115,000. Other wars include the American Revolution, where there were 4,044, the War of 1812, 2,200, the Mexican War, 13,270, the Korean War, 33,000, and Vietnam, 46,616. And that was by Joseph Vila McConkie. At that, same, at that time, in 1832, there was considerable commotion in the United States. The tariff question was one of great issue. The state of New York, before its acceptance of the federal constitution, surrounded itself with protective tariffs, and this policy was gradually approved by other northern states. The southern states, on the other hand, regarded free trade as best serving their interests as their products were limited to a few articles of raw material, which they exported while they imported practically all the manufactured commodities they needed. In 1824, Congress enacted a protective tariff bill. A few years later, a stricter measure was adopted against Great Britain in retaliation for efforts to exclude American trade from the British West Indies. This met with vigorous opposition in the South, especially in South Carolina. In this state, in 1832, a convention of the citizens declared that the Tariff Acts of 1828 and 1832 were not binding within their territory and fixed February 1, 1833, as the date after which they would be considered abrogated unless Congress should before, should before then remove the, the, the difficulty. Many Northerners were in favor of carrying the laws of the, of the Union into effect by means of arms at that time, and a bill empowering the President to use force was introduced in Congress. It was during this political agitation that the Prophet Joseph made the condition of his country the subject of prayer and received this revelation. While all of these differences existing between the North and the South had a tendency to drive the people apart, yet it was the question of slavery and the contention over the expansion of new territory and the creation of new states, and whether or not slavery should be permitted in such new territory that became the crux which brought, about, which brought upon the people the great civil war. South Carolina took the initiative. 
From a mere human point of view, this appeared improbable. The probability was that the northern states, conscious of their numerical and financial strength, would throw down the gauntlet. A bill was before Congress authorizing President Andrew Jackson to use force in defense of the Union. But notwithstanding this, the North did not begin the war. South Carolina took the first step by recalling her representatives in the United States Senate. November the 10th, 1860. This was followed by an ordinance of secession passed by the state legislature on the 17th of November, the same year. And on the 12th of April, 1861, the first shot of the war was fired by General Beauregard against Fort Sumner, and thus the conflict was begun by South Carolina as foretold by the prophet and not by any of the northern states. Verse 2, And the time will come that war will be poured out upon all nations beginning at this place, South Carolina. On the 12th of April, 1861, the first shot of the war was fired. Verse 3, For behold, the southern states shall be divided against the northern states, and the southern states will call on other nations, even the nations of the nation of Great Britain, as it is called, and they also they shall also call upon other nations in order to defend themselves against other nations, and then war shall be poured out upon all nations. Still another prediction is made in this verse, although probably some readers miss it because the language is somewhat involved. We have already seen that the southern states will call on other nations, even including, as I interpret it, the nation of Great Britain, as it is called. Immediately following these words we read, and they shall also call upon other nations in order to defend themselves against other nations. What is the antecedent of they? It, it cannot be the southern states because the Confederacy was fighting the northern states only and was not defending itself against other nations. Furthermore, the verse has already made the point that the southern states would call for help on other nations. To me, the antecedent of they is Great Britain and the other nations upon which the Confederacy would call for help, namely France, Holland, and Belgium. The plain meaning of the words to me last quoted, and they shall also, etc., is that even as the southern states would call for help on other nations, so in turn would Great Britain, France, Holland, and Belgium eventually call for help in other conflicts to follow, in order to defend themselves. Many of us have lived to see the letter and spirit of this prophecy fulfilled in the two world wars we have passed through, and then, continues the Lord, war shall be poured out upon all nations. That is to say, when Great Britain and the other nations mentioned call for help, world war would result. This has already taken place. Verse 4, And it shall come to pass that many days slaves shall rise up against their masters, who shall be marshaled and disciplined for war. Though this happened, at least in some measure, during the Civil War, the statement as here given refers to events yet future. Presiding Bishop Joseph L. Worthland suggested in a 1958 General Conference talk that this text could be making reference to peoples in countries where the citizens were both slaves to the government and without freedom of religion. We anticipate that the day will yet come, as it has at least in some measure in Russia, that the peoples of all such nations will rise up and throw off the shackles of oppressive and corrupt governments, demanding the freedom that will allow the gospel to be taught to them. That last part was from Joseph Ely McConkie. Verse 5, And it shall come to pass also that the remnants who are left of the land will marshal themselves, and shall become exceedingly angry, and shall vex the Gentiles with a sore vexation. This text is often thought to be tied to Micah's prophecy that in the last days the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of, the pe of many people as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of sheep who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, and none can deliver. 
If the remnant here is one and the same with the remnant spoken of by Micah, then we can anticipate that this prophecy will find fulfillment through events involving all twelve tribes of Israel and encompassing the whole earth. That was by Joseph Phelan McConkie again, by verse, uh, down to verse 6. And thus with the sword and by bloodshed the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn, and with famine and plague and earthquake and the thunder of heaven and the fierce and vivid lightning also shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath and indignation and chastity chastening hand of an almighty God until the consumption decreed hath made a full measure of all nations. This phrase, a full end of all nations, does not of necessity mean that all nations will be destroyed. During the millennium, all man-made governments will be dissolved to make place for the kingdom of God. Christ will rule as Lord of, Lord and King, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Verse 7, that the cry of the saints and of the blood of the saints shall cease to come up into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. In a prophecy that reaches to the ends of the earth in the promise of calamity among the wicked and divine warnings among those of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, we can but suppose that his reference to the blood of the saints bespeaks the sad reality that the gospel will not go forth unopposed and that there will yet be martyrs for the gospel cause among virtually all people. This conclusion is sustained in Doctrine and Covenants 88:94, wherein we read that the mother of abominations that made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication is the same that persecuteth the saints of God that shed their blood, she who sitteth upon many waters and upon the islands of the sea. Uh, the word Sabaoth is a Hebrew word meaning hosts or armies. Thus, Jehovah Sabaoth means the Lord of hosts. Also, as revealed to the prophet, the Lord of Sabaoth is, by interpretation, the creator of the first day, the beginning and the end. Uh, continuing verse 7, from the earth to be avenged of their enemies. Verse 8, wherefore stand ye in holy places and be not moved. Now the word moved can also mean not just not, not displaced, but emotionally upset. In other words, to be calm. Until the day of the Lord come, for behold, it cometh quickly, saith the Lord. Amen. Clearly the Lord ordained the stakes of Zion to be the holy places in which the saints will stand in preparation for the second coming. The Lord gave further direction that the gathering together upon the land of Zion and upon her stakes may be for a defense and for a refuge from the storm and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. There is strength in the organization of a stake. Stake presidents and bishops are ordained and set apart with keys to guide the saints in righteousness. Further, members of the church are organized into quorums and relief societies in which they better learn the doctrines of the kingdom and their individual duties. Zion is built up one stake at a time. As members are sanctified and receive the blessings of the temple, Zion puts on her beautiful garments. Thus, each stake in Zion may become a holy place for a defense against wickedness and tribulations of the latter days. And that was by Joseph Elon McConkie. Uh, homes and temples are also those holy places that we're talking about here. Stand in holy places uh, and be not moved. And so as we stand in holy places, because the places that we stand are, are holy because of our righteousness, then we will, be, we will be protected. I bear testimony that these things are true and say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.